My kneecap is hard to hear. Ask the Lord to uh, awaken your heart, to illumine your mind, and to change your life. So take a moment. That God would awaken your heart, illumine your mind, change your life. Thank you, God, that your ears are always open to our cry. When we come to you with a repentant mindset, may that be true of all of us today, we ask in Yeshua's name. Amen. The blood speaks. Uh, when I read the Torah passage this week, uh, I've discovered that writing a sermon for me is like writing a song. Those of you who don't know, I've written a lot of songs in my life. It's one of my gifts. I'm a, song, I'm a songwriter. And when I write a song, usually what happens is that there's a text that I'm reading in the Bible that kind of uh, resonates with me. And I build the song around that text. That text suggests a certain melodic fragment, a motif, and then everything else grows around it. It's kind of like a pearl. A pearl grows around a, 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 a grain of sand or an irritant that's inside the oyster, and everything grows around it. I discovered this week that when I write a sermon, it's often the same way. There's something in the text that, that kind of irritates, in a good way, my, my spirit, and everything gets built around it. That's what happened this week when I read about the blood on the robe of Joseph that we read about today. And if you look at this picture, it's a little hard to see, but from the left to the right, that's, that's, that's the old man, Jacob, weeping into the bloody robe of his son, Joseph. And so my theme today for our consideration is that the blood speaks. So let's see what it says. We've got a problem. It starts with a, a quote from a, a woman I knew in San Francisco, a very attractive British woman who was also an artist. On her walls, she had paintings she had done, which were really very nice. She was also a shrink, and that's how we met. I, need, I needed a shrink. I still do. Uh, and if you keep laughing at me, you'll find out why. Uh, and Pauline Holmes, Pauline Holmes said something to me that I've not forgotten. She said that everyone knows they are a sinner down to the cellular level. She said that people really know. They may suppress that knowledge. They may argue against it. But people sense that they are sinners. And that creates a problem for us. And I want to give an outline 
uh, for us that uh, pertains to this. Just one, just one moment. Uh, let's see. No, no, we don't want that. What do we want? Okay, that's what we missed. This awareness, this awareness, even suppressed awareness, that we are sinners, that somehow we have fallen short, that somehow we are deficient, that somehow we are culpable, tends to disrupt and misdirect our lives. When we're in denial about this reality, uh, it's as disruptive to our lives as being overcome by its weight. Uh, a person who spends their life always trying to avoid the awareness of their own culpability has a disrupted life, a life that you know is just kind of detoured in some way. And similarly, you can all we can all agree that a person who lives their life under a conscious or unconscious burden of of a sense of guilt, it's a very very disruptive thing. Either way. We are not free, and we are not living out the full meaning of our humanity when we've not resolved the sense of our own culpability, our shortcomings, or more clearly, our guilt. So today, here's a brief outline of, of uh, what we want to look at. I want to look today at three things. First of all, blood speaks. Secondly, blood lies. And thirdly, blood tells the truth. Let's look at how blood speaks. And I'm going to do something which might be of use to some of you. And that is I'm going to slightly move our Aron Kodesh so that more of you can see. Blood speaks. Using its metaphorical muscle, early on the Bible tells us that blood speaks, and sometimes it speaks condemnation. Very early in the Bible, we have the story of Cain and Abel. Two and by the way, parenthetical statement. There's much in Genesis about brothers not getting along with each other. Cain and Abel is one story. The story of Joseph is another. This is very powerful in Middle Eastern culture because in Middle Eastern culture, your most, uh, your weightiest relationship was with your, your brother, your brothers. Sibling relationships were closer and more lasting than even marital relationships. And to betray your brother was the very worst thing you could do, the most unthinkable thing to do. So when early on in the Bible, after the story of, of Adam and Eve, or in the midst of the story of Adam and Eve, we read about Cain uh, killing his brother Abel, I mean, for the ancient readers, this, I, I don't have the words to describe it, this, this was not just shocking, this was appalling. This was, was, everybody in the tent was wide awake when you told this story.
because it was the most unthinkable thing to do. And early on in the Bible, using its metaphorical muscle, the Bible tells this story of, of fraternal betrayal, just as we just told another story of fraternal betrayal. And it talks about how blood speaks. Adonai said to Cain, where is Hevel, Abel, your brother? He replied, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? And then God said to him, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. So there we have the idea that blood makes a statement. Blood speaks. Interesting metaphor. Let's go on. Secondly, blood lies. We read this story of Joseph. And here, blood lies. I'm reviewing the story a little bit. They took Joseph's robe and killed a male goat and dipped the robe in the blood. Then they sent the long-sleeved robe and brought it to their father, saying, we found this. Do you know if it's your son's robe or not? He recognized it and he cried, it's my son's robe. Some wild animal has torn Joseph in pieces and eaten him. Yaakov tore his clothes, put sackcloth around his waist, mourned for his son for many days. Though all his sons and his daughters tried to comfort him, he refused all consolation, saying, no, I'll go down to the grave to my son in mourning. And his father wept for him. Uh, just a moment. His father wept for him. Although all his sons and daughters tried to comfort him, his father wept. Here, the blood is lying. The blood is saying that uh, Joseph is dead and he's not dead. As a matter of fact, it's going to be 22 years before he sees his brothers again. 22 years. He's sold into slavery when he's 17. He'll be 41 years old when he sees his brothers again. And his father will be living with a lie, believing a lie, where the blood lied. But that's not the heart of what I want to say. I want to talk about how the blood tells the truth. I want to look at the blood of Yeshua and what truths the blood of Yeshua tells us. The blood of Yeshua tells the truth about Yeshua. He's the spotless Lamb of God. He could not be our atoning sacrifice. He could not be, be uh, Agnus Dei Quitolus Peccatamundi, as it says in Latin, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He could not be that if he had any sin at all. So, the atoning blood of Jesus tells us the truth about him, that he is the unique soul, only totally sinless offering. He is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. He is the one who, in the purposes of God, was destined to come and do what only he could do. And to bring redemption, not just to you and me, but to the entire cosmos, which is in the midst of entropy, spinning down, which is contaminated, and which cannot be rectified except by an act of God, an extraordinary act of God that was so 
monumental. The problem was so extreme that it cost the death of uh, the Word of God. It tells us the truth about Yeshua, that is the spotless Lamb of God. It tells us the truth about the graciousness and dimensions of God's love. God commends his love. The Bible says, you know, for a, a person will not die for another, though. Oh, perhaps for a good person, someone would die. But God, God commends his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, that's not just that we were imperfect. We were rebels against his throne. We, we, were, we uh, treated God with contempt and indifference while we were contemptuous and indifferent to God, he sends his son to die for us. Just think about that. Uh, uh, you know, I've been preaching this kind of stuff for 50 years, but I could do well to sit down for a couple of hours and just wrap my mind around what I just said to you. That when we were contemptuous and indifferent and rebellious against God in various ways, he didn't just forgive us. He sends his son to die for us. So that's, that's when Paul says God commends his love towards us, that's quite a commendation. That's quite, the, there you've got credibility. If you ever want to solve the issue in your mind, does God love me? Does God love us? Does God really care? Get back to this. While God knew the worst about our whole lives, beginning to end, he sends his only begotten son to die for us. The blood of Yeshua tells the truth about our forgiveness. That such a price was paid for us proves the extent of our forgiveness, that it's beyond comprehension and of limitless benefit. We are not just told, go sit in the corner, I guess it's all right. Uh, the fact that God is so lavish in forgiving us shows us the generosity of that love and the breadth of it. I mean, you can live in that love. You can live in that forgiveness you can relax, you can rest. And I'm going to look at more of that in a moment. Uh, our forgiveness is not stingy, it's not, it's not meager, it's not merely, it's not barely. It is abundant. Uh, in fact, it's infinite. Let's go on. Because of the blood Yeshua shed for us, this is how God speaks to us. I was looking in the Bible, and I found this verse in Isaiah, which is very familiar. And in a way, it helps me to say what I think God wants us to hear about the blood of Yeshua and what it means for us. God says, comfort, comfort my people. All of us should be comforted by what we're contemplating today in the core of our being, in that place where we hide from ourselves that we're sinners, where we justify it, where we don't want to look at it. 
in that deepest core that is troubled and conflicted, God sends a word of comfort. You can let it go. You can look at it. You can acknowledge it. This is a key to tremendous emotional healing. When you can face the worst about yourself without condemnation, without fear, without shame. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to the heart of Jerusalem. God is speaking kindly to us today. And proclaim to her three things. Number one, how warfare is ended. Your, whether you realize it or not, when we are rebels against the throne of God, when we are indifferent to him, when we are contemptuous of him, when we don't have any room for him, we're really at war with God. We're, we're in kind of a, 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 a battle, a struggle uh, of, of control. The death of Yeshua on our behalf says that God has declared a permanent truce. The war is over. He is not standing ready to judge us. He does not view us as enemies. He has embraced us as children. The war is over. Our iniquity has been removed. It's gone. As though it never was. Gone. That whole issue is solved. And finally, we have received from the Lord's hand, you can't see it up there, double for all our sins. Instead of us being punished, uh, instead of us being exiled, instead of us being, uh, being marginalized, God rewards us. He gives us double instead of our sins. He, he gives us double blessing instead of anticipated censure. It's like the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes home, says, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your, your, your child, your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And what does God do? He's called, he, he declares a party. He says, bring the, the ring, put the robe on his shoulder. That connects us to Joseph, doesn't it? This is a robe of status. Give the guy status, give him a ring, put sandals on his feet, and throw a party. Yeah. He anticipates meager, stingy treatment. He anticipates censure. He, at the best, he anticipates being made just a servant in the house. And instead, he's, uh, they throw, the father throws a party. That's what this is saying. You receive from the Lord double reward for all your sins. Now, is this understandable? Not at all. Is this deserved? Please. It's, it's a consequence of only one thing, and that is the limitless generosity and kindness and love of God, which through the instrumentality of Yeshua's incarnation and his atoning death, and his resurrection, through that instrumentality, everything is fixed at great price.
not just for you, not just for me, not just for everybody, but for the whole cosmos. But we must never forget that this was not an easy fix. It cost God, his only son, who died humiliated uh, and tortured and brutalized on a Roman cross, the most demeaning form of death in the world at that time. How are we doing? Sean, would you give me another slide, please? Thank you. I want to look at a couple of passages of Scripture with you. In light of everything we've said, um, can you, uh, you can't raise that. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, although it is attested by the law and the prophets, has been disclosed, namely, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Yeshua HaMashiach for all who believe. It's through his faithfulness to his calling that we uh, not only receive the status of being righteous, but where the righteousness of God is vindicated. Because if God just forgave us for our sins because he wanted to be a nice guy, what about the sins? The sins are, are, are a debt. The sins are something that his justice must deal with, or he's not a holy God. So in the death of Yeshua, God vindicates, he not only forgives us, but he vindicates the fact that he's still a righteous God and that nobody got away with anything. It's just that Yeshua is the one who took the rap for all of us out of the kindness of God. That's what it is. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Messiah Yeshua. God publicly displayed him at his death as the mercy seat available through faith. Uh, he is, the mercy seat was the place where blood was sprinkled for the atonement of the sins of the world, the sins of Israel. And Yeshua is the mercy seat. He's the one where the blood is focused that takes away the sins of the world. This was to demonstrate God's righteousness because God in his forbearance had passed over the sins formerly committed. Well, on what basis did God overlook all those sins with all those animal sacrifices? He forgave all these sins, but anybody who's got any brains knows that the blood of a goat or a bull or a lamb, that doesn't take away sin. It just gives you a dead animal. Well, now we understand all of that was pointing forward to this infinite payment. So uh, it, it vindicates God's righteousness. He's not playing games. This is to demonstrate his righteousness in the present time so that he would be just and yet the justifier of the one who lives because of the faithfulness of Yeshua. God is still just. He has not compromised his holiness. We read this in 1 John. If we're walking in the light, if we're honoring the truth in our lives and walking in the truth as best we understand it, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of his son Yeshua purifies us from all sin. This is an ongoing benefit. It's not just a new start. It is a constant provision 
And finally, you have come to Mount Zion. That is the city of the living God, heavenly Jerusalem. We have come to myriads of angels in festive assembly. We are part of that community. We have come to a community of the firstborn whose names have been recorded in heaven. We've come to a judge who is God of everyone, to the spirits of righteous people who have been made, who have been brought to the goal. We've come to the mediator of a new covenant, Yeshua, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel spoke guilt and condemnation. The blood of Yeshua speaks forgiveness, love, freedom, peace, and not just a new beginning, but an entirely new world. So, remember that blood speaks. It speaks condemnation. It speaks... Um, it, it speaks lies sometimes, but in Yeshua, it speaks the truth about us, about the love of God, and about the kind of life into which he's called us. I hope that, having heard this, that you will join me, and this is only by the Spirit of God this can happen, that you will join me in having a renewed sense of the magnitude, the majesty, and the opportunity presented to us through this magnificent provision. Um, I want us never to forget that our forgiveness was not easy for God. It was not, this is one of the reasons I believe the message of Yeshua. It's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible and I have for 55 years or so, because solving the problem, the human dilemma, was not even easy for God. This is not an easy fix. But the good news is it's all done. Thanks be to God. Amen.